Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us on this absolutely gorgeous Easter Sunday. Today, churches across the globe, not just here in the United States, but around the world, will all be celebrating the same event, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if you ask me, the Easter story is the greatest story ever told. But just so you know, the resurrection is not a subject reserved for the Christian community. Because many people today, people who don't attend church, people who don't identify with the Christian faith, they still believe or accept the reality of the resurrection. In fact, according to Barna Research, 60% of all people surveyed, churchgoers and non-churchgoers alike, say they believe in a literal and physical resurrection. 60%, that's six out of every 10 or more than half. Just out of curiosity, how many of you believe in the resurrection? That's pretty close to 100%. So check this out and I certainly hope you don't take offense or you don't take it the wrong way. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus doesn't make you all that special. And claiming that the resurrection of Jesus did in fact happen and an Easter miracle happened isn't going to earn you a distinguished crown or reward in heaven. Why? Because a ton of other people believe the exact same thing. People who do not identify, they do not acknowledge the the deity of Jesus. People who have not adhere to the truth of his word, and people who refuse to turn to him. So why the buzz? What is the significance of the resurrection, and what makes the event surrounding this Easter story so remarkable? Well, let's take a look. And the best place to look is in the word of God. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 7 Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, he's going to tell the story now. But I'm only repeating what somebody else told. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. 
there you will see him just as he told you. Okay, the Easter morning resurrection miracle begins when a small group of amazing women, most of them called Mary, <laughs> decided to visit the tomb of Jesus. And as they were on their way, as they were going, they were talking among themselves and they did not know how they were going to negotiate the huge stone that had been rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. On Friday, they had saw that the stone was there. Jesus was buried and they put a stone there. They didn't know how they were going to go in. But oftentimes with women, you just walk by faith and you handle one crisis at a time. Uh, you know, that massive stone that was in front of the tomb, it prevented the guys from checking it out because in their minds, there's no way we can get in, but it wasn't near big enough to stop the women. So they made their way there anyway, and on their way, lo and behold, when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away, so problem solved. On to the next matter. Now, according to the verses that we just read, what were the ladies there to do? What was their intention? Well, they were going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. That's why they brought the spices. That's why they brought the perfume. They wanted to give Jesus a, 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 a proper Jewish burial according to their custom. Please note the scripture doesn't say they brought Jesus a toothbrush or a cup of coffee, a hot breakfast, or a change of clothes. You know why? Because he was dead. And in their minds, as the ladies were making their way to the tomb, they knew he was going to stay dead. They watched him die. They were there on Friday when he breathed his last breath, hung his head, and died. And when he died, so did all their hopes and dreams die along with him. It was now clear to the women and all the other disciples that Jesus was not the person they thought he was. They thought he was the Messiah. They were convinced that he was the Son of God. And trust me when I tell you, they were all in. But those women, they did not devote their lives to Jesus. They did not lay down their lives and give everything to him just because he was a creative communicator or a gifted speaker. They didn't sell out to the gospel because he could perform a miracle or because he told good stories. They believed in their heart of hearts that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. They absolutely were convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. After all, that's what Jesus led them to believe. That's what he insinuated. At first, he kept it secret. But then after a while, he began to make some outrageous claims. In fact, Jesus said he was greater than Abraham. In fact, he said, before Abraham was born, I am that would make him over 2,000 years old at that time. And then he included a bunch of other I am's. 
Like I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the good shepherd. And I am the light of the world. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then on one occasion, Jesus actually talked to a crippled man. And he said to the crippled man, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. No one but God can forgive sins. God is the only one who has the power to forgive sins. And these are some of the reasons why the religious leaders became so infuriated with Jesus. It's why they conspired together to kill him and to eliminate him. Because they thought he was a phony. They thought he was a fake. And the reason they thought that is, quote, Jesus made himself equal to God. And so the religious leaders, they had their doubts, but Mary and all the other women and the disciples, they took the bait hook, line, and sinker, and they believed the words of Jesus. They believed what he told them, that he was the promised Messiah. They believed it until Friday. when they watched the horrifying events unfold right before their very eyes. And they could not comprehend for a moment what was taking place. They, they watched in total disbelief as Jesus breathed his last breath and died. Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? All that expectation, completely sold out to Jesus as their rabbi, their hero, their Messiah to come, and now he's gone. And at that moment, the disciples scattered. They all went into hiding. They feared for their lives, and they thought they were next. But a couple of days later, the ladies could no longer contain themselves. They became stir crazy in that upper room, probably got on each other's nerves, and they decided to visit the cemetery. But when they got there looking for Jesus, as we read earlier, he wasn't there. There was an angel there. Do you remember what he said? Let's look at it again. Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Here's what the angel said. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Make no mistake, he was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Those last five words one more time. Just as he told you. As difficult and nearly impossible as it is to comprehend that in the moment, Jesus was telling the truth. Everything that he had said to them over the past three and a half years, everything he taught them, it was all true. Every word, every declaration, every outrageous claim. It was all the truth. 
Jesus was in fact greater than Abraham. He was greater than Moses. He was greater than Elijah and all the prophets. He could forgive sins. He could heal the sick. He could reach, reach out to the lepers and cleanse them. Cast out demons and raise people from the dead. He was capable of all of that. And that's the significance of Easter. Jesus proved with his resurrection beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything he told his disciples, everything he taught them was true. And everything he claimed to be was the truth. He was the Alpha and the Omega. He was the beginning and the end. He was the King of Kings. He was the Lord of Lords. He was the promised and he was the prophesied Messiah. And that's a pretty good place for you to applaud right there. He was that. And just like the angel of the Lord said to the women, he was crucified. The Son of God, the Messiah, went to the cross and he died. It was the Son of God hanging on that cross that shed his blood. And he paid the final price for sin. It was Jesus. No one else. And with the empty tomb, as you heard over and over again this morning, Jesus completely destroyed and overcame death, hell, and the grave. And today, just like 2,000 years ago, that's the issue that we need to come to terms with. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really God in the flesh? When we open our Bibles to the gospel message, when we look through the New Testament and we read about uh, this guy, Jesus, is he the, the one who walked the earth? Is he really God? I mean, th that guy that, that plays the character of Jesus in The Chosen, you know, the popular TV series, is that really God? Is Jesus God? I talk to people all the time. That question comes up. I, think, I say, do you believe all that Jesus said about himself in the word? And what follows usually is a whole lot of doubt and uncertainty. People respond, they say, well, I'm not sure. I think so. I hope so. I don't know. And then as the conversation go on, goes on, people ask a whole lot of questions like, why? If Jesus really is the Son of God, if you're expecting me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then why doesn't he do something about all of the evil that's in this world today? If Jesus is the Son of God, why is there so much pain and sickness and suffering? Why doesn't he answer our prayers? Why doesn't he change things? And don't look now, but that sounds a lot like the attitude that people had on the day Jesus died when he hung on the cross. And the scripture tells us they walked by and they pointed their finger up at Jesus and said, hey, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross. We'll put our faith in you. We'll trust in you. Jesus, do your stuff. If you'll prove something to us, if you'll show us something, we'll gladly walk with you.
You see, the truth is that the deed of Jesus has been in question from the moment he was born. When in accordance with God's word, a little virgin girl by the name of Mary, who had never been with a man before, suddenly found herself pregnant. And that skepticism that started 2,000 years ago has not lessened one little bit. It's still the same issue today. And right along those same lines, what I'd like to do is take a look at something that happened at the foot of the cross that I find pretty remarkable. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read just a few verses there. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the scripture says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, the who? When the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Remember, that's what we're talking about. That's the issue that we're discussing right now. Is this Jesus really the son of God? I, mean, I know the story. I, I know what the Bible says, but is it really true? Good Friday for Jesus started very early in the morning. Remember with me, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had just celebrated Passover with his disciples. He went there to pray and cry out to God. It was Judas who lent a band of temple guards there, and they arrested him. Remember, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. They arrested Jesus, brought him back to the Sanhedrin, where the high priest conducted a mock trial. They paraded a bunch of witnesses who gave false testimony and lies against Jesus. They found him guilty of blasphemy, and it was somewhere right around daybreak that they took Jesus and they handed him over to Pilate. And the last eight hours or so of Jesus' life, he was in Roman custody. And he spent those last eight hours with one person. Every minute of the eight hours, he was with the same person. And it wasn't his mother, it wasn't Mary Magdalene, it wasn't Peter, James, or John, or any of the other disciples. Remember, they had all fled. The one person that Jesus spent the final eight hours of his life with was the Roman centurion. Because once he was taken into custody, and once he became a prisoner, he was assigned to that centurion. And that centurion was given strict orders. If anything happens to Jesus, if anything happens to that prisoner, if there's a mix-up of any kind, if he escapes, or there's any kinds of problems, you'll answer for it with your life. And so the centurion did not leave Jesus' side. He was stuck to him like glue. And over those eight hours that he was in custody, the Roman centurion got a bird's-eye view of everything that took place. He was there when Jesus was interrogated by Pilate. I mean, he was in close proximity. He probably heard every word. It was the Roman centurion who ordered the beating to start. In fact, he probably counted the lashes, all 39 of them, just to make sure they got that right. 
It was the centurion who probably led the abuse against Jesus. Maybe it was his idea to mock and humiliate Jesus by bringing a purple robe and hanging it on his shoulders, pressing a crown of thorns on his brow, and then beating him over the head a couple of times. It was the same Roman centurion who supervised and directed the crucifixion itself. He was there when they drove in the, the spikes into his hands and his feet. And the centurion remained at the foot of the cross the entire time Jesus hung there. Are you getting the picture here? This assigned, cold-blooded Roman soldier was the one who oversaw the heartless execution of Jesus from start to finish. But it was nothing new for him. He had done it countless times before with multiple condemned criminals. All that bloodshed, that gruesome violence, everything that happened, it was no big deal to him. He had been doing it for years. But you know, as he watched the events unfold and he stood there at the cross, he noticed something was different. Something wasn't right. It looked different than the other executions. Jesus didn't talk or behave like a common criminal. He didn't lash out at the soldiers. He didn't shout in or curse. He didn't accuse anybody. In fact, he spoke tenderly with kindness and compassion. He spoke of forgiveness and love. totally different than what the centurion was used to. The scripture tells us sometime around noon, darkness fell, and that darkness remained uh, over the crucifixion area for three hours. A soldier must have been looking around thinking, what in the world is going on here? It was so eerie to him. And then right around the three o'clock hour, he heard Jesus cry out with a loud voice, it is finished. And the sound that Jesus made when he said that was like nothing the centurion had ever heard before. And a few moments later, he heard Jesus say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, one theologian said, I think he said it best, Jesus didn't die like a man. He died like a God. And the centurion witnessed it. He felt it. And he responded to it. Because what he said as soon as Jesus died, that's captured and recorded in the scripture, is incredible. He didn't look at Jesus and say, he must have been innocent. He didn't say, you know, I, I don't know why we crucified this guy. He's probably a good man. He said, this has to be the Son of God. Amen. Truly, this is the Son of God. He spoke of deity right there. 
You know, I read that. And I got to think to myself, how? How is that possible? That a cold-hearted, sinful, ungodly man gets that kind of a revelation. The religious leaders, they were there. People that followed him, that Jesus ministered to, they were there. How does the soldier get that revelation? Just a few moments, I'm going to bring the message to a close. But I'd like to share one final verse of scripture with you. It's found in the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, uh, pardon me, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Romans 10, 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. And friend, that's the ultimate decision and objective you could ever make in this life is finding that place of eternal salvation with God. And you know the faithfulness of God? He allows all the years that were granted here on this earth to get to that place. He repeatedly comes to us in our lives over and over again with his loving ways to encourage us to get on the road to salvation so that we can find our names at the end of time in his little black book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in order for that to happen, in order for us to be in right standing with God when this life is over, in order for us to secure uh, this objective called salvation, the verse of scripture that we just read, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it gives us two mandatory requirements for salvation or two elements necessary for salvation. If you don't remember what they are, let me give them to you again in random order. The first one is you have to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what we're talking about today. You have to believe that Jesus went to the cross on Friday. He died. He was buried. But then within the next three days, he was raised to life again. But there's a second element as well. In addition to the resurrection piece, Romans 10.9 tells us, you also have to make a confession in your heart. You have to be willing, like the centurion, to receive a revelation and understand and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, and that you would be willing to make him the lord of your life. And my friends, when you do that, when you accomplish those two objectives, when you become a believer of the resurrection and a confession of the lordship of Jesus, let me tell you, you do become super special. And then you get the ultimate reward and crown of life. Your name written in God's book. And that's the way that I desire for everyone to leave this place today. Whether you're here in person, if you're watching online, that you would understand that the whole reason that 
these events took place, everything we've been singing and talking about today, the whole reason this happened is because God loves you. He knows who you are. That's right. He knows you. He, he calls you by name. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, the whole world, not just a small group, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, believes in the resurrection and believes in his lordship, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise. Eternal life when this one is over. I'm going to ask you please to just bow your heads and give me a couple more minutes. We're going to close out our service with a song. But I'm wondering if you would be willing to acknowledge the importance of Romans 10.9. Because if you do, if, if you would say, I want to not only believe in the resurrection, but I also want to confess the lordship of Jesus, this resurrection story will change your life now and for all eternity. Not just in the world to come, but for right now. You receive a blessing like you wouldn't believe just to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe up to this point, you thought all you had to do was believe in the resurrection. A lot of people can raise their hand to that one. I asked you earlier, how many of you believe in the resurrection? Most of you raised your hand. Barna said there's 60%. But how many of you would be willing to go to the next level right now and take that next step? Not just believe in the resurrection, but declare his lordship in a personal way and say, I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I desire to surrender my life to him and I'm not going to wait any longer. I have to have my name written in the Lamb's book of life and I have to know in my heart that I'm saved. If, if that's you this morning and if you're feeling it, if you're feeling to make a decision and you haven't made this decision before, maybe you have years and years ago and you just know it's time to get right with God, could I just get you to slip up your hand for a moment? Hold it up. Thank you. Appreciate all the hands. You can put them back down. Resurrection is what we've been talking about today. Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. But that's only half of the story. The other half is personalizing and applying that story to your own life. Confessing, just like the centurion, this is the Son of God, and I am giving my life to him. One more time, if you didn't raise your hand already, the Lord's moving upon your heart, and you want to be right with him, make that commitment today. Can I get you to slip your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who are online, if you want to respond, there's a little tab in the chat. You can go ahead and click onto that. Just keep your heads bowed for one more moment and let's say this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world to die on the cross for my sins. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead and I also confess the Lordship of Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for making a way for me 
for loving me, accepting me, and calling me by name. Today I bow my knee at the cross. I confess my sins. I repent of my wrongdoing. And I ask for your forgiveness. I willingly surrender my life to you. Father, I thank you for every heart and soul who prayed that prayer sincerely for the first time. For those, Lord, who renewed their relationship with you as well. I ask, Lord God, that right now resurrection, life, and power would come into their being, that they would sense something is different. Lord, the greatest miracle that ever could take place is the miracle of resurrection. You translate us from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of your dear son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these miracles. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this closing song together.